invite you to open with me now in God's Word to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation uh, chapter 5, as I did uh, yet further preparation yesterday uh, for uh, preaching today, I've decided actually to cover this chapter in two sermons. Uh, And so today our text will just be verses 1 through 7, Revelation chapter 5 and verses 1 through 7. Uh, Next week, Lord willing, we will consider verses 8 through 14. Uh, I remind you of where we were last week in Revelation chapter 4. We were given a vision of heavenly worship. Uh, God is on his throne. He is surrounded by 24 elders who are sitting on 24 thrones, representing the church glorified, surrounded as well by four living creatures who are angelic beings. And in the midst of that heavenly scene, the Lord is gloriously worshipped, and we, are, uh, we were given lessons last week about what true worship is. But now in our passage today, in Revelation chapter 5, uh, this same heavenly scene continues before our eyes. As we're going to see in verse 1, there's another item that is now brought to the forefront, a scroll that needs to be opened. And in fact, this scroll Uh, is going to be uh, kind of the subject and center of the next several chapters out of the book of Revelation as the various seals of of this scroll are opened. Uh, But our text today is Revelation chapter 5 and verses 1 through uh, 7. Let's hear God's word. Uh, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. This ends this reading uh, in God's word. Let's now look uh, again to the Lord in prayer. Lord, our God in heaven, we acknowledge your greatness once again, who is like unto you, Lord Jesus Christ. We acknowledge your supreme worthiness as the only one who can open the scroll and its seals. We pray, O Lord, that as we consider these things today, that you would give special insight into your word, grant to us understanding of this a book of the Bible, this book that is meant for the encouragement of your people. 
Give your Holy Spirit, open our minds, but as well open our hearts to this truth, that it would come with special power to our own souls. We pray that any who are not currently worshipers of the Lamb of God would bow the knee to King Jesus. We pray, O Lord, that each of us would come to see in greater measure than we ever have before the worthiness of of this Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb of God slain for us. Oh, bless our worship through the hearing of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. As you uh, get a little bit older, sometimes you learn uh, new words. Uh, One of the new words that I have learned in the past few years, I have to say largely through my own children, is the word goat. Now you might say, I've known what a goat is since the time I was three or four, was learning my various animals, but this is not that kind of goat. Rather, it's a person who is described as a goat. Now, first time I heard that, I thought, that's no compliment at all. Last thing I'd want to be described is as a goat. But just the opposite. It's actually an extraordinary compliment if you're called a goat because it means that when whatever field or area of expertise you have, whatever ability you have, you are the greatest of all time. G-O-A-T. You are the goat. Maybe some of you just learned that for the first time. Okay? Now, uh, to be the greatest of all time is certainly uh, considered a real honor to have uh, the whole uh, population of America or even of the world arguing about whether in the area of athletics or whatever other area it might be in, uh, if you are the goat in that uh, area. Well, in our passage before us uh, today, we have the courtroom of heaven opened before our eyes, the throne room, the palace of our great God and King. And in this palace of heaven, we're going to see today that in one sense, really all the goats of this current world are going to fade into the background in comparison with the glory of the only one who is worthy of all praise and adoration, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so I want us to consider the scene that is brought before our eyes. I remind you that we mentioned this last week, and as we're going to see throughout the book of Revelation, that the things that we read in this chapter are highly symbolic. Uh, This isn't simply a literal scene that is described for us, but rather through the use of symbols... Uh, ideas are given. Through these use of symbols, we are left with an impression upon us, and an impression that ultimately uh, makes much of our Lord uh, Jesus Christ. Well, I want us to study these seven verses today under two simple points. Uh, first of all, we're going to see a sealed scroll, a sealed scroll, and then secondly, a strong Savior. A sealed scroll followed by a strong Savior. Well, the first thing that we're going to consider here is a sealed scroll. In chapter 4, we were told of a throne and one who sat upon a throne. He had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. Around that throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. 
Uh, it was a picture, really, of the glory, the supreme majesty, the splendor of the true and living God. And it was this true and living God and all of his splendor that was the subject of worship. But now in verse 1, we're told something else about this one who sat on a throne. And that is that he had in his right hand, in his right hand, indicating his authority and his power and his rightful sovereignty over all. In his right hand, this God who sits on the throne had a scroll. And it was a scroll that was written both within the scroll and on the back of the scroll. And it was rolled up, as it were, and sealed with seven seals. Now, what is this scroll? Well, various people have given a variety of guesses of what this scroll might be, but most commentators agree, and this is definitely what I think as well, it's the only interpretation that really makes any sense at all, is that this scroll represents God's eternal decree for all of human history. It represents God's plan. His purpose for all creation. Now scrolls in the ancient world would have only been written on one side, on the inside, so that you would open the scroll and read it. But this particular scroll, we're told, was written both within and on the back of the scroll. That is, the entire thing was taken up with words. And that indicates the comprehensiveness of God's plan that nothing can be added to his decree, that his purpose is full and comprehensive. It includes everything that there is. It's important that you and I recognize that God has such a decree. In our shorter catechism, we are asked the question, well, what are the decrees of God? The decrees of God are his eternal purpose according to the counsel of his own will, whereby he foreordains everything that comes to pass. And so the scriptures clearly teach that God doesn't simply look down through the halls of history, as it were, and see ahead of time the things that are going to happen. But the Bible teaches that God actually ordains and plans all things that will happen. Ephesians 1.11 makes that clear. In him, that is in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined, and here it is, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. The God who predestined us to salvation is the God who works every single thing from the movement of great nations and the decisions of kings uh, to the smallest atoms that exist in the furthest reaches of the universe. All of it has been established and ordained by the living God. He works everything according to the counsel of his will. So there is a God who sits on the throne There is a God who has a decree for all of human history, for this entire universe. And that's represented by this scroll. However, our passage does say that this scroll, written within and on the back, is a scroll that is sealed. 
Now, it's sealed by seven seals. Seven, of course, and we run into this time and again through Revelation, is a number which indicates completion. It indicates that God's plan is hidden from us. It is perfectly sealed. That is, it is a a decree that you and I don't determine. We can't gaze into by our own strength. No one knows exactly what is going to happen in the future. No one but God alone. And it is God alone who can bring this decree to pass. But how is this scroll to be opened? How, that is, how is this plan that God has decreed to be carried out? Who will execute the decree of God? And that is the great question that is asked in verse 2. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, and he proclaims these words. He says, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? It's as it were a loud voice resounding through the heavens. Who is it that can open? That is, not just reveal, but execute bring to fruition this plan and purpose of God. If God's purposes are to establish His kingdom and to reconcile sinful people to Himself, to bring the elect to everlasting glory in the kingdom of heaven, to exercise righteous judgment on the wicked, who can bring these high and holy purposes of God to pass? Who can execute the plan of God. Who is able to do it? And not just who is able to do it. Notice the question. Who is worthy to do it? Who in and of themselves has the worthiness to bring to pass this plan of Almighty God? And that's the challenge that is issued here. Who is worthy? To open the scroll and to break its seals. And this invitation that goes out with a loud voice to the ears of all, we are told then in verse 3, is met with what we might call a kind of deafening silence. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. No angelic creature, no human individual living on the earth, no great and mighty king, no wise person, nothing in all of God's created order could answer this call to be the one to open the scroll and to break its seals. And this, dear friends, is what brings John to tears. We're told, verse 4, that he begins to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll scroll, or to look into it. And so John is concerned, does this mean then that this great purpose of God will go unfulfilled? What is going to happen We need to find one who is worthy. It is a sealed scroll. 
me just make a, a little bit of application of this, though, because I think there's an important point to be drawn from this, uh, this challenge that goes out and the silence that is heard. And the point is this. It is that, that the unworthiness of every creature to open the scroll points to the inability of every created thing to provide ultimate meaning and purpose in life. Okay, the unworthiness of every creature to open the scroll points to the inability of every created thing to provide ultimate meaning and purpose in life. Let's just take some examples. You'll notice, for example, that there is no political ruler or king who answers this claim. Who can open the scroll? There are many in this world who put all of their confidence in the state or in a government. How many uh, tyrants who have lived throughout the course of human history have have, have told the people in their land to worship them. It began as a, you think of Nebuchadnezzar in the uh, Old Testament. But how many have followed in their steps considering that the king or the emperor themselves is God and is worthy of worship? How many people have looked to the state to provide for their every need? How many kinds of messianic claims are made about human governments? as the answer to to people's problems? What kind of nationalistic fervor has there been in nations throughout the course of human history thinking that it is our nation that is the hope of all humanity? And yet when this cry goes out in the heavens, who can open the scroll? There is no political ruler who is worthy to open it. Not one of them can answer that claim. Just as there is no political ruler who is worthy, similarly there is no wise educator who is worthy to open this scroll. There is no person who is intelligent enough or who is clever enough to work out in detail uh, and to solve all the problems of this world. And We live in a world in which there is great stock placed in education. Of parents who sacrifice everything for a child's education. Of children who are finding their worth and their purpose in the education that they receive. As they put tremendous pressure on themselves to get good grades or to, to, to achieve this certain level. And that becomes the aim and the goal of their life, finding their identity in that. And here the Lord says, In all of heaven, who is worthy to open the scroll? Well, it's no wise educator that is able to do it. Similarly, it's no popular entertainer. No sports icon or movie star or popular singer who can open the scroll. Again, in our age, we put great meaning and significance in entertainment, don't we? People live for sports. People try to make a name for themselves, uh, you know, how many Instagram followers can you have? Can you be a YouTuber, YouTuber that gets uh, millions upon millions of, of views? And that is considered the pinnacle of success in the eyes of many. To have a name that is known. To walk into a restaurant and people asking for your autograph or to recognize who you are. And people try to reach that pinnacle. And yet notice here that it is no popular entertainer who can answer the cry of this angel. 
Similarly, it is no uh, satisfied family person that can answer the cry of this angel as well. What do I mean by this? I think in our day and age as well, great stock is put in the, the family. Uh, that, that's the thing that many people care about more than anything else. I want to keep peace in my home. I want to have strong relationships, good relationships with my children and my spouse. Family, people will say, is everything to me. That's what matters most in this world is family You'll notice here as well that that's not the pinnacle of success. It's not a strong family or a good family that becomes the key to opening up these scroll and to break its seals. Similarly, it's not a rich and successful business person who is able to open these seals. Not one who has uh, reached the pinnacle of success in, uh, their, uh, in their business. Not one who has made all the right investments, who has... Uh, the better vacations and the bigger home and who is darting about in the better car. Those things are often the measure of making it in the world. And that person is also not worthy to open the scrolls. Let me just summarize it all by putting it this way. Who is the person that you most wish that you were? Who is the person that you most wish that you were? And I can tell you that that one is not worthy to open the scrolls that, that the Lord has in heaven. He, that one, no matter what pinnacle of success they have achieved, in whatever area that you most admire, that one is not in themselves worthy to open the scroll. And that's the point here, is that many of the things that I've just described a second ago, education, a family, Enjoying even the pleasures of entertainment or making money in business and so forth. Each of these things in themselves are not bad things. Government is not a bad thing in itself. It's a provision of God. Okay? All of those things are not bad things in themselves. They are useful in service to God. They are a source of some joy and delight in service to God. But each of those things in and of themselves make very poor gods. And at the end of the day, it is not those who have succeeded in any of those areas that I just mentioned that are able to open the scroll. And so it, 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 what, what it does is it presses upon us. What is it? What are the things that have grabbed my own heart? What have grabbed my affections? Is it one of these created things in the world? Is that what I'm chasing after ultimately? If that, is that how I'm measuring my worth or my success? And if so, we are told that those things in themselves are not worthy. They do not last. They do not provide ultimate meaning in life. But Rather, we are going to see in just a second here the only one who is worthy and the one who deserves our devotion. So the cry who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to do it or to look into it. And John wept loudly at the futility of all of that. And that leads us now to our second main point. And that second point is this. It is a strong Savior. A strong Savior. Because out of this cry 
and no one's response, then comes in verse 5, one of the elders, we are told, who sat on those 24 thrones, one of the elders then turns and says to John these words, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And here we have rising one who does, who is able to bring into fulfillment all of the plans and the purposes of Almighty God. He's described here as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Uh, This is actually the only verse in Scripture to explicitly use this language, but it's one of the favorite titles of Christ among many Christians. It's actually an allusion to uh, Jacob's words on his deathbed in Genesis chapter 49 and verse 10. And there in that passage where Jacob is blessing each of his sons, he says to his son Judah that the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Well, indeed, who is the one to fulfill this? But it is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ He is indeed of the tribe of Judah, and he is like a lion, the one who has power and strength and majesty. The divine warrior who comes and who reigns. But not only is he the lion of the tribe of Judah, he is also called here the root of David. That is, he's not only David's seed, that is, David's descendant, and thus the rightful heir of all the kingly promises that are given to David, he is described here as the root of David. Okay, He is uh, uh, the pre-existent son of God. He came before David ever was. There's a sense in which David himself sprang from Christ. Isaiah 11.10 calls him the root of Jesse. Uh, through whom peace will be brought to the earth. And that's exactly what he is. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is in himself the very root of King David. He is the Lord Jesus who has conquered. And because he has conquered where no other creature can conquer, he is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. What a glorious announcement this is. Amidst a world of darkness and despair, where amongst all the created things we can find no ultimate meaning or purpose in life. Here is one, we are told. Jesus, the the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, who has conquered. And because he has conquered, he is able to open these scroll and to break the seals. He is the great champion of all. And so John now, as we turn to verse 6, is about to look to feast as it were his eyes upon the one who is the, the, the great conqueror for his people. And we're told that now between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, do you get the vision in your mind, around that throne, between the throne and the living creatures, among the elders there, he sees, but what he sees is a lamb standing as though it had been slain. We're told it was supposed to be a lion of the tribe of Judah, a great conqueror. But behold, as he looks upon him, 
What does he see? But he sees a lamb. I mean, what might you expect to see? Uh, children, even, if we're told that there is one who is mighty and a conqueror who is there, you might say, well, I, I would expect to see a mighty lion or a knight in shining armor or maybe a powerful king. But John sees, behold, a lamb standing in this position of victory. That word lamb is used 28 times in the book of Revelation to describe the Lord Jesus Christ. It's commonly used uh, throughout the book of Revelation. Or, and and, it's, and it's, it's an expression that is so rich in Old Testament imagery. You can think in Genesis chapter 22 in verse 8. Remember uh, Abraham bringing his son Isaac up upon the mountain to sacrifice his son. And the angel stopping him at the, at the top. But before that, do you remember what Abraham assured Isaac? And Isaac asked him, why are we going up this mountain? And Abraham said, well, it's so that God, God will provide a lamb for the burnt offering. Or you can think of Exodus chapter 12 and the Passover night as the Israelites were going to leave Egypt, right? And on that night, each home sacrificed a lamb, and they put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost so that the angel of death would pass by that home upon seeing the blood of the lamb. And then throughout the Old Testament, the sacrificial system continued, reminding God's people that their sins could be removed only by the death of a worthy sacrifice. And each year that sacrificial system culminated in the Day of Atonement when the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies, the presence of God Himself, with the Lamb's sacrificial blood to turn away God's wrath from the people. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 7 gives us a direct prophecy of the coming of the suffering servant, the Messiah. And there we are told that like uh, like a lamb, he was led to the slaughter. And that by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and shall bear their iniquities. And so with this rich Old Testament background then, do you remember the first time that the Apostle John himself uh, Uh, would hear this lamb applied to Christ, it was when he heard John the Baptist's greeting of the Messiah. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so he is the lion who conquers. But how does he conquer? He conquers as a lamb standing. And he's a lamb standing as though it had been slain. That is, as one who is alive but who had clearly been slain. The lamb who was slaughtered, but was now living. The lamb who conquered through sacrifice. And that's exactly what the Lord Jesus did. Did He not? That the Lord Jesus conquered, won the victory through the sacrifice of Himself. And by His sacrifice, Satan's dominion was destroyed. How? It was Satan's dominion was destroyed as those for whom Christ died had their sins laid upon the Savior. The curse which they deserved put upon Jesus Christ so that they would be free. 
and the judgment which once held them in captivity would now be lifted and they would be restored to fellowship with God. That's how Jesus did it. He conquered over Satan by the offering of Himself as the sacrificial lamb on behalf of His people. And so He is the lamb standing as slain with seven horns. Those horns are signs of strength and might. And it reminds us that even as He died, He died as as, uh, the Mighty One, able to, to save His people from their sins. But He also has seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. We've run into this phrase, seven spirits of God. This is the third time now, at least in the book of Revelation. And it refers, as we've said before, to the Holy Spirit in the fullness of all of His operations. And so we're told that this lamb slain was one who himself would have been filled with the fullness of God without measure. Excuse me, would have been filled with with the Holy Spirit without measure for the accomplishment of His messianic work. But then it is this Christ who then sends out the Spirit as the Spirit of the victorious Christ, applying His work to the souls of His people. But we are told it is this Lord Jesus, not any creature, no one else, who, verse 7, went and took the scroll from the right hand of Him who was seated on the throne. Here He is the one who is able to open the scroll. Here He is, the worthy Lamb who fulfills all of the plans and purposes of God for His people. And what we learn from this, dear friends, is that the person and the work of Jesus Christ is absolutely central to the unfolding plan of God. What is God doing doing in this world? What, in what way is God active in this world? What is He doing? And the answer here is that He is saving people through the blood of Jesus Christ. That He is renewing people after the image of Christ. That He is bringing us to follow the pattern of Christ. He is building His church as the body of Christ. He is glorifying His Son in the renewal of a people for His own glory. That's what God is doing in this world. That is His great work. That's why no one else could open the scroll. It's because no one else is able to accomplish that salvation. But it is only in Jesus Christ that that glorious salvation is accomplished. Okay? I mean, that's why we were just, what we, we were just singing about. What is our only hope in life and in death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence? That our souls to Him belong. He holds our days within His hand. Nothing comes apart from His command. What will keep us to the end? The love of Christ in which we stand. That's the good news. It all centers in Jesus Christ. The person and work of Christ is central to the unfolding plan of God. Well, let me just apply this to us. Uh, in this way. I want to say, if, if Jesus Christ is at the very center, the one who executes the unfolding plan of God in history, then it means that you and I must live the Christ-centered life. He is the worthy one. Worthy is the Lamb. 
And let me apply this in, especially in three different ways. First of all, I want to say to you that you need to trust in Christ, in His all-redeeming blood, to take away your sin. Trust in Christ's all-redeeming blood to take away your sin. What is God doing in this world? He is redeeming a people through this Lamb who was slain. It is the Lamb who was slain who conquers. And why was He slain? Well, it was to restore us to fellowship with God. The biggest problem that you have is the problem of your sin. It is the fact that apart from Jesus Christ, you are under the judgment and the wrath of Almighty God. And you need to be saved. And how can a person be saved? Only in one way. It is by looking in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. Your most pressing need is to trust in Jesus Christ for the salvation of your sins. You need to look to Him. And, and we live in a world that's going to just try to distract you from that need. It's going to try to divert your attention to all of these other things that you could be doing. It's going to say, don't let, don't let a big deal made, made of this. this is, uh, that's just uh, that those evangelical churches. They, they, they just are so hung up on these things. They're not, they're not with it. Just get rid of that. There's so many other things to be worried about and concerned about and to be involved with in this life. Don't worry about this whole thing of sin and forgiveness and all the rest. Dear friends, Oh, dear friends, scriptures make it abundantly clear. Revelation 5 makes it clear that there is no one else who can take away your sin but Jesus Christ alone. You need Christ. And if you die in your sins, you are going to hell. And Jesus alone can take away that guilt and that burden of your sin. Come to him. Trust in Him. It's the one thing that you need more than anything else in the entire world is to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. God's greatest work was the giving of His own Son. Do not scorn that greatest of all gifts. The second thing that I want to say to you then about what it means to live the Christ-centered life, if the first thing is to trust in Christ's all-redeeming blood, the second thing is this. It is to find your central identity in Jesus Christ. Find your central identity in Jesus Christ. In other words, if Christ is at the very center of all of history, might He also be at the very center of your life as well? And this is actually wonderful news because if we try to find our identity in anything else, it is going to end in frustration and in failure. If you try to find your identity in your academics, students, by making the best grades and going out and getting the best job, well, I have news for you. There's going to be a brighter student and somebody else getting better jobs than you and you're not going to do as well on certain tests as you thought you were going to do, and you're going to be a failure, and you're going to feel that way. 
And if you're finding your identity in that, it's going to end in failure. If, you find, if you're trying to find your identity in how much money you're making, it's going to end in frustration and in despair. If you try to find your identity in how famous you are becoming, how many people know of your name, well, there's a lot of people that don't know of your name and don't care about it. And in fact, as soon as you die, people aren't going to be talking about you any longer. They're not going to care any longer. Okay, if you're going to try to find your identity in your family, family is a blessing from the Lord. Praise God for family. But if we're trying to find our identity in our family, we're going to find that our family often fails us as well and will disappoint us. Friends, if we try to put our identity in anything else, it's ultimately going to fail us. But the good news of the gospel is this, is that our identity is found in Jesus Christ and He never fails us. He is the Lamb slain for us. He is the one who is able to open the scroll. He is true. He is victorious. Find your identity in Him. Won't you do that? Look to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I tell you, maybe you are a person who is struggling with depression or maybe with feelings of inadequacy. Maybe you feel the pressures of life coming down upon you and you don't know if you can handle those pressures any longer. Friends, can you not look to Jesus? That's the answer above all else. Look to Jesus. And do you realize that in Jesus Christ you are loved beyond what you could possibly know or understand? Do you know that in Jesus Christ you have a righteousness that will cover all of your sin and all of your inadequacy? That in Jesus Christ you are assured of a glory that is beyond compare. That in Jesus there is lasting hope. Christ our hope in life and death. He's at the center of history. Might He be at the center of your identity too? Will you find your identity in Jesus Christ? The third thing I want to say, first of all, trust in His all-redeeming blood. Secondly, find your identity in Him Thirdly, to say this, make it your life's aim to glorify Jesus Christ. Make it your life's aim to glorify Jesus Christ. You see, that's the point of this scene in heaven. It's that everyone else fades into the background as it's just the Lamb standing there before the gaze of all. And next week, friends, next week the whole sermon is going to be about how we should glorify and worship this Lord Jesus. What it means to do that in our lives. I just want to say right now, make it your central aim in all of life to glorify this Savior. As, as a wife or as a husband, as a child or as a parent, as a neighbor, as a worker in the workplace, your goal, your goal in each of those things is to not make much of yourself. Okay? Your goal is to make much of Jesus Christ. Glorify Him in your daily life. And might that be your aim, your life's ambition, to make much of this Lamb in the way that you speak, in the things that you, in the, in the things that you speak about to others. Make much of Jesus Christ. I've mentioned it before, but one of, you know, probably my greatest hero in all of my life was my grandfather, my mom's dad. Uh, he was a pastor. He was an ordinary man. When he died, he had very little money. Uh, 
I certainly have never received anything from uh, fr- from him in terms of money. Uh, uh, he uh, he was a man of rather ordinary gifts and abilities. Um, he was not a celebrity pastor. You wouldn't know who you wouldn't know who he was, apart from me telling you about him. But the deepest impression he made on my life during the 16 years that I was alive, that he also was alive, was that he was one who loved the Lord Jesus Christ. And he loved him tremendously. And Jesus Christ was at the center of his life. And that continues to have a profound impact on me. You know, what, what are we now? Almost 30 years later. And my, one of my lasting memories of, of him was, gonna, was at his funeral. And it was a funeral, a church building about this size, but filled with people whom he had touched and whom he had impacted. And I can remember singing on that day one of his favorite hymns. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? It was, it was a funeral that was all about the Lord Jesus. It was all about Christ. And that's what my grandfather's life shone with. His life was all about Jesus Christ. And might it be so with your life as well, that someday when you die, might it be that the memory that they have of you would be that your life was all about the Lord Jesus. That's what you cared about. You are passionate about Him above all else. Might we live in order to see Jesus glorified. Well, what a wonderful passage this is. Who is worthy to open the scroll? This Lamb of God, slain for us, who has conquered. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for this message, and we thank You for this truth that there is none other worthy but only the Lord Jesus Himself who is supremely worthy to open the scroll, to undo its seals, to bring Your purposes to completion, purposes which center on our redemption through His blood. O Lord, make it that Jesus Christ would be exceedingly precious to us this day and that we would glorify Him in all that we do and say.